Welcome back to the Snakes Cast. I'm Jonathan. I'm Emily. On Monday, we talked about the basics of drafting in board games and also our insecurities vis a vis being picked last in sports teams in high school. God, don't remind me. But we're moving on. We're adults now. It's okay. It's fine. Not everyone's good at sports. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the like weirder mechanics and some drafting games as well as some of the weirder games that employ drafting in new and exciting ways. So that appeal of being able to take stuff that nobody else can use and then use it for different things is really, really flexible. You've got your basic stuff, like your sushi goes, where you're just collecting sets of things. Mm-hmm. And there's certain stuff that goes with what you have and certain stuff that doesn't. So there's things you want things you don't care about that much. Ticket to Ride is a similar kind of thing. Generally speaking, you want to score the big roots. You want to collect a bunch of the same color. You also don't want the other players to do the same thing, because then they're going to do that. But um, you can introduce some subtle little things too like there's the uh, the chopsticks and sushi go mm-hmm. it's always the last thing that I explain when I'm teaching that game chopsticks are um, a card that basically you pick it from your hand you put it face down and then on your next turn you get to pick twice you pick it, get to pick two cards and then just like put the chopstick back in your hand. Exactly. So the same number of cards are still getting passed around, but if you ever do get passed ahead of cards, so like, oh, I really want to keep two of these, well, if you've got your chopsticks... Then you're great. You're set. Exactly that. It's simple, but it adds just enough sort of crunch to it to disrupt that basic pattern of picking and passing, picking and passing. Inish is another game that uh, takes a sort of an interesting take on these. You're only drafting four cards. Each player's got four of these action cards, and they will let you do stuff on the board. The details aren't that important in this particular case. But you take one, you put it down, you pass three. Then the player to your right passes you three cards, and you pick up all four, and now you keep any two, which Mm. might or might not include the one that you kept from before. Pass the other two to your left. Person to right passes you two cards. Hold all four. Now you're keeping three and passing one. They don't have to include the two that you just kept before. And then pass one more, and you're ready for your action round. You're going to play these cards and do stuff. Cool. All right. Your standard Sushi Go type situation, if the person on your left has that two sashimi and they just need one more, you don't want to pass them. But they've only got one sashimi. It's fine to pass them two of them because they can only keep one. Oh, wait, unless they've got chopsticks. Or, oh, wait, unless you're playing an ish because then everything you pass, they get to keep. <laughs> Especially for later in the round. So when we were doing research for this episode, it occurred to me that I couldn't think of any drafting games. I just couldn't think of any. I could think of like three, and I'm like, well, like that's not going to do. And we were looking them up, and it's both like amazing how many games have small elements of drafting to them, mm-hmm. but it also there was there's a lot of weird stuff on the list, like stuff that we couldn't quite agree was drafting and it brings the question like if you have to pay money for it does it count as drafting well you kind of have to pay money for that awesome free agent in the nhl draft if i mean you have to pay them yeah but like and your team only has a certain amount of money to spend from like ticket sales and stuff so i guess it counts i mean you're talking about stuff like king of tokyo right yeah like you've got cards they're on display to everybody you can buy one on your turn if you want but like is that drafting or well, is that just like like the alien tech cards and alien frontiers? Like, is example, it yeah. drafting? Like, there are cards I can take them, but is it drafting? It. I think there's really two kinds of draft. There's the pick and pass thing, mm-hmm. and which you know has its antecedents and hearts, and then more uh, more hobbyishly Magic the Gathering, and then there's the we've got a display. 
and it's got stuff in it, and we're going to take turns grabbing stuff. And that's like the this, the more sport ball type of thing. Where I'll pick this one, you'll pick that one, you'll pick that one. But if the grabbing of the stuff is not like necessarily integral to gameplay, does it still count as drafting? A game can have drafting in it without necessarily being a drafting game. Mm-hmm, but like when we look at something like Ticket to Ride, which sure. I don't think I would call necessarily a drafting game no. in the same way that Sushi Go is, Agreed. but there is a drafting element of taking these cards, but the cards that you're taking are completely integral to the way that you're playing the game. Absolutely. Versus something like King of Tokyo, where there's those cards in a play, I can take them if I want, but like I can play and win a game of Tokyo without taking a single card. That's true. It's uh, The draft is even less uh, integral to the game than it is uh, in, Ticket, in, in Camp Tokyo than it is in Ticket to Ride. I mean, Ticket to Ride is a set collecting game. Mm-hmm. The, way you set, the way you collect those sets happens to be by drafting, but it's like one generation removed. Camp Tokyo is a stomping the crap out of the other players game, which has several ways to do that, one of which can evolve getting these things, and the way you get them is drafting, so it's like another layer removed. Mm-hmm. And in order to draft them, you have to collect energy, which is yet another layer. I mean, you can't just get stuff for free. Like, in Ticket to Ride, either you draft a couple of cards or you play cards and build some stuff. In Camp Tokyo, you roll dice and then re-roll and then re-roll. The results of those dice might give you energy that you can use to draft cards. Or it might not. And even if it doesn't, it can still give you useful results that you can use to pound the tar out of the other players or score points or heal yourself up. So neither of those, I guess, is a drafting game. And drafting is an even smaller part of King of Tokyo. But even then, there's like another sort of quantitative difference between a game that's about the draft, like Sushi Go, and a game where there's a display and we're kind of taking turns drafting stuff. And we don't really have two different names for those which, I, in a way, is kind of an indication of just how young this form of modern games is, that the nomenclature isn't really mature enough yet to have separate terms for these mm-hmm. things. And we talked a lot about how flexible drafting is as a mechanic, and mm-hmm. I guess that's just another indication of it, like how easy it is to kind of like dilute it and apply it to your specific needs without making the entire game revolve around it. It used to be that auctions kind of served that purpose in Euro games. If you had a variety of different components, like you know buildings or special powers or something, that were, that were variable in terms of the power level. Some of them were just flat out stronger than others. The way that you would balance that to make the game fair is that you would set up an auction. So players have a certain amount of money, and how much these things cost depends on how much the other players are willing to let you have it for. Mm-hmm. So the more expensive items, rather the more powerful items tend to be more expensive because the other players will jack the price up. Whereas the less powerful ones tend to be cheaper because people don't bid them up. They don't want them that much. And that's how they bring fairness into it. And drafting serves a similar kind of purpose. Like again, we talked on Monday about Magic the Gathering. This is a game that's all about combinations of cards and power levels of cards. So setting up a draft really, really makes it possible to have a uniquely impressive level of skill present in the game. You have to know all of these things to have a sense of not only what you're going to need to draft for your own stuff, but what the other players are going to need to draft as well. Magic also has different layers. I mean, they, they, that, that power level is even built further into the game mechanically because some of the cards, they don't print as many copies of them. When they do it, they've got rare cards, uncommon cards, and common cards. And, and limited generally speaking, runs. they do. And these rarer cards, generally speaking, tend to be stronger than the common cards. As a result, they get drafted earlier when uh, in, in this pick and pass kind of thing. My friend Eric Lang, 
and friend of the Snakes cast. Name drop. Yeah, I know. He's just it's he's so cool. He's so dreamy. I can't tell. <laughs> um, he wanted to do like this sort of Magic the Gathering style booster draft where everybody opens their booster pack and you've got a rare and a couple of uncommons and some commons in there. And he created a, a board game called Midgard, which is about Vikings and Ragnarok and the end of the world. And if this sounds familiar, that's because it recently got you know redone as Blood Rage, which became this massive hit. Now, in Midgard, it really was all about the draft. That was the whole thing. The cards that you drafted, it was, it was, it was not quite Sushi-Go level of you know, the draft is all, but it was certainly much more because it did have gold, silver, and bronze cards in it mm-hmm. that would represent your booster pack. You only have one gold card to draft, and you'd usually take that one. With Blood Rage, yeah, the cards are different power levels, but it's like Sushi-Go and that they all go in a single deck, or actually more like Seven Wonders and that each of these three ages has an escalating power level. Because there's such a broad range of different kinds of cards, you really kind of need to know the whole deck, much like in Seven Wonders, with all those little fiddly bits of you can play this, you can't play that, this combos with this and gives you points and that doesn't. You need to have a really high degree of familiarity with the cards that are out there to play at any level of skill. And see, that's interesting because, I mean, we talked about how accessible drafting is as a mechanic because it's so familiar to people, you Mm -hmm. know. It's interesting to me that you can take something so simple and then make it so difficult by making it necessary to know the contents of your deck, right? You can't, as a beginner, play a game of Magic the Gathering and have any hopes of beating anybody that's played it for more than a year. You need to work your way up. Yeah, and that's so different than something like Sushi Go that it doesn't matter if you know what the dumplings do and what the sashimi do because it's written right on the cards and you know that they're in there and you know that that's it. You just get one quick tutorial at the beginning and you're ready to go, which is a wonderful advantage at Snakes and Lattes, of course, because we can get people started playing and having fun right away. However... If you want something that's going to offer a broader, more of a breadth of experience, well, you know, actually, the folks at Sushi Go kind of figured out the answer to this. They created something called Sushi Go Party. More sushi. Yeah, yeah. It's just tons of more stuff. At the beginning of every game of Sushi Go Party, you pick a bunch of stuff. So this time, instead of using sashimi, we're going to use natto, or we're going to use um, you know, uh, gyoza, edamame. And each of them has a different way of scoring. Some of them are kind of weird. So as a result, you've got something that can continue to entertain, even if you've gotten to the point where you're kind of you've seen what it can do and you're mm-hmm. done with it, but still provide new material. Whereas in something like Magic or Blood Rage, it's something where you are going to get blown away by an expert your first time. Oh, absolutely. But you're going to know why, and by learning what's available and adapting, you can. And here's the other thing too: in Magic: The Gathering, it's one v one. You know, your skill level, if you're not as good as the person sitting across from you, you're toast. Blood Rage tends to be three or four players, which means if you've got two new players and they really decide, no, you're an expert, we're not going to let you run away with this, they can make sure. It's truly the best way to play any game. Really, Just, yeah. like, gang up on the person that you think is going to win. And, and, and considering that drafting doesn't have a lot of direct interaction in it, it's wonderful how much of that you can do in a game that's about drafting as long as you have a decent number of players. Yeah, because it is like a bit of a numbers game, right? All right, I think that'll do for Wednesday. Friday, we're going to go deep into some weird games and how they wind up using drafting in interesting fashions. See you then.